Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, guys. Welcome to the next episode of the Challenger 2 podcast. Uh, I'm going to have to just start right away because we have six events to talk about, uh, then five to preview. So there's a lot of stuff we have to cover. And um, yeah, I think without further ado, I think I'm going to start with one of the 125s that we had. Actually, uh, I did pretty well on the predictions this week, um, although I only got one point. But um, you're going to like we're going to have to cover it along the way. But um, you're gonna see that all of my picks went to the quarters or something and actually had three guys in the finals uh, just eventually only one uh, making it there in the uh, you know towards the end uh, but anyway uh, let's maybe start in Genoa where we had probably the biggest story of the week which I think is Thiago Seibofield going back to back in uh, Como and Genoa which is naturally quite huge for him he breaks the top 100 and he breaks the top 100 at a very respectable 76 in the rankings so that's I guess something we weren't really expecting that he was when he breaks it he's actually gonna break it by this much uh, but yeah you know that's what winning Como and Genoa back to back did to him and yeah he was fabulous you know he won uh, he beat five Italians in a row which is really interesting uh, he only really struggled with Bonadio uh, in the opening round. He was a set and a breakdown there. And then he went on a rampage a, a little bit, although against Picciona he was also a bit tired, but then he started managing that better. Against Fonini, probably not the better player for most of the second set, but he had some ridiculous moments there as well. And yeah, Seibovild, 76, you know, and he clearly has still potential to go so much higher than that. Um, such an exciting rise this year, you know, clearly uh, finally realizing his potential. And by the way, four players will break the top 100 on Monday, or actually have broken the top 100 on Monday by the time you're listening to this, which is Rinki Hijikata, Borna Goyo, Dominic Stricker, and Thiago Seibofield. Uh, obviously, um, three of them did that on the back of their US Open runs, and Thiago Seibofield did that by winning two challengers in a row. And by the way, when did he secure this? Actually by uh, beating uh, Ricardo Bonadio in the opening round. Because by that time, someone else got eliminated. Uh, and uh, by the time uh, Seibofield made the second round here, that actually ensured his top 100 debut. But, but by winning the title, of course, he ensured that it was going to be at such a high ranking of 76 already. So jumping by 30 spots in these two weeks. And then the finalist was Fabio Fognini, uh, which was quite wild. This was his first Challenger final since um, 2010. And he delivered some very, um, well, memorable moments because for one thing, he copied the Shelton Djokovic phone call celebration along with the finger wag at the end, which people speculate that it's directed at Filippo Volandri, the Italy's Davis Cup captain, because Fabio said that he only played Genoa in order to get ready for Davis Cup. And uh, apparently, well, uh, he was nominated as like this, you know, 
pre um, like sort of basic lineup that they announced a month ago and then suddenly he's not on the team which I don't think is right in general I don't think it you know Fonini at the stage of his career had to be on the Davis Cup team especially with how many youngsters Italians have but if he was announced initially why is he not there now I don't really get that uh, but yeah that, that's that's something that Fonini hinted at he uh, posted like a huge Instagram rant about that decision so uh, that was quite interesting too but honestly this was just more of that Fonini that we've seen at times this year and actually we've seen at times only over the past few months where he is playing insanely motivated inspired tennis and it's beauty uh, it's a beauty you know it's a beauty to see 100 percent um, there were some amazing moments in Fonini's play this week the way he beat Monteiro Pirosh even the opening rounds, um, still ridiculous shot maker. Sometimes the age maybe shows up a bit. Sometimes, you know, the footwork is even worse than before, even even more sloppy. But his shot making, his uh, ball striking ability, they are ridiculous. And he keeps showing that on the Challenger Tour as well. Uh, Thiago Monteiro was the semi-finalist. And this is also a pretty huge run for the Brazilian, because as you might remember, in 2022, he won a couple of 125s, which was Salzburg and Genoa. Uh, now he actually uh, had to defend Genoa as well, although he, these points are going to drop in a couple of weeks. He defended 45 out of 125, which isn't enough, but it is something at least. And with how Monteiro's season has looked so far, I think that's still an improvement. And he beat Travaglia Rotoli and uh, Junsin Tseng to lose to Fonini, whereas Andrea Vavasori was the other semi-finalist, one of these guys who actually will be at the Davis Cup, uh, uh, you know, Italian tie, and he beat Ajdukovic, Agamemnone, Coria in a very uh, exciting set of win wins, but then he couldn't compete anymore against Sabofield in the semis, he actually retired after seven games. Um, so that was also nice for Vavasori. He was supposed to be in Szczecin, so I was, I was gonna see him live, but he's actually not anymore because of the Davis Cup. And uh, when it comes to the doubles in Genoa, we had um, Giovanni Oradini and Lorenzo Rotoli beating um, the Sabanov brothers. By the way, the Sabanov brothers, they must have been doing pretty poorly this year, right? 16 and 25 is the record. And they actually won a challenger in uh, March in Waco. Then uh, Zadar, they also made the final in. But then they had a long streak of losing basically every match they played. So back on track, and definitely, they beat Franza Niebens, Pellegrino Vavasori, so back on track, but losing to Oradini Rotoli was a surprise. And I think Oratori Rotoli in general um, this week were just, uh, you know, just kept making upsets. And they managed to win a very unexpected title in the singles here. Uh, the other 125 that we had this week was actually Seville, let me let me get to that, yes, where Roberto Carpaez Baena won his, um, which one is that, 11th challenger title, I think, if I remember correctly, and he obviously retains his crown from 2020, oh, uh, by the way, I was supposed to mention my uh, winner predictions, so I think in Genoa, I actually, oh, this was the only one that I, that I kind of screwed up, it was Shevchenko, uh, who lost in the second round to Tseng, he saved the match points against uh, a match point against Serafini in the opening round, and then uh, lost to Tseng from like a huge lead in the second set, which is um, okay. Th this was the only one that I that I felt that okay, I, I I forgot about that. 
Uh, but then coming back to Sevilla, uh, Sevilla, this was the only one that I got right, actually. And Roberto Carvajal Baena, the defending champion, the finalist from 2021, he was uh, only really pushed by one guy here, and it was Hugo Gaston in the semifinals. Although Elias Emer also played him fairly close, and Gaston had three match points to eliminate Roberto Carvajal Baena out of the tournament. However, Carvajal Baena played some gutsy tennis. There was also a beautiful forehand winner. And even though these yellow clay courts are supposed to be a bit faster, he's actually been enjoying them a lot over the years. And in the final against Emery, it just wasn't a contest at all, you know. Um, but speaking of Calvin Emery, uh, he uh, scored an absolutely massive 75 points, you know. And at his ranking, this means so much. And right now, he's a wonderful chance to fight for Australian Open qualifying, which would be quite huge for the guy, because he hasn't played a Grand Slam qualifying since the Australian Open 2019. So he could be back up there after five years. Uh, he has a great chance to do that. And he actually won four deciding sets in a row, especially impressive wins. Kachin, Yamas Ruiz, honestly, even Royer and Andreev, these are all good wins. And against Kachin, he scored his first top 100 win in four and a half years. Um, so this is already a second challenger final for Emery this year after that Trois uh, runner-up finish to Guinard. So quite a uh, quite a year for Emery really, and he should be back up there really in the top 250 shortly. And well, peak-wise, you know, when when he is on a good day, of course he deserves it, right? It's just a matter of regulation and how often he hits that great level. Um, that is holding Emery back and always has and probably always will but still he managed to actually uh, you know work his way around that this week and uh, kudos to him for that for sure uh, then the other semi-finalists were Valentin Royer uh, so that uh, French 22 year old by now uh, who was really impressive in 2022 at the end of the year um, getting some great matches in against um, for example, against Cazor, right, that 21-19 tiebreak, that was one that Royer got. There was a quarterfinal as well in, uh, in Saint-Tropez. <clears throat> and uh, this year he was not really delivering all that much, I think. At the ITF level he was fine, but he never really made that challenger impact, uh, like full-time challenger impact that we were expecting from him, uh, mostly losing in the early rounds. Although I have to say that his record at the ITF level is actually has to be fantastic. Just by looking at it right now, <clears throat> I can tell you that it's like um, 18 and 3 or something like that. No, sorry, 19 and 4. So that, that's that's huge. But just at the challenger level, it wasn't going for him uh, that well. But he managed to get around here. So he qualified by winning one match and then beat Diaz Acosta in the second round. That was huge. He also outplayed Skatov in the quarters and then just lost to Emery in, uh, in, uh, in the semifinals in uh, three sets. So Royer clearly, clearly showing again that he has the game to do this, that he has the forehand especially to uh, keep pulling something like that off. Maybe it's uh, the beginning of a new start for the guy. We'll see. And then we also have Uko Gaston, who made the semis. Uh, as we know, he has been playing a bit better recently, like maybe playing with a bit more focus, although you wouldn't be able to say that after some of his matches at the US Open qualies. And this week he was pretty good, beat Verdasco, beat Taberner, beat Gianessi, before losing to Carboes Baena in that thriller. Could he have done a bit more on the match points? A bit, but it was mostly great play from Carbaez Baena uh, that saved it for him. Either that fantastic pass down the line or just the attacking, confident play that he was able to come up with. And then, you know, Gaston had a bit of a meltdown by the time we reached the third set. But 
that's what it is and um, I think he still played a pretty excellent match in the semi-finals here and when it comes to the doubles in Sevilla the last thing that we need to cover about this event uh, it was Barroso Campos and Martinez beating Balashi and Romboli that's a very interesting pairing by the way Balashi Romboli we're used to seeing these guys with very different partners that was their first one uh, that was their first appearance this week actually uh, I mean first appearance you know in their careers uh, as a pair so uh, let's get to one of the Challenger 100s now we also had two of them and one of them was Shanghai and one of them was Tun. so maybe let's finish off the European clay for now and uh, the winner there was actually Vitko Priva so out of the last three challengers that Vitko Priva played he won two of them which uh, I did not expect at all to be honest with you and uh, we talked about it in, uh, when he won Verona that uh, this is a key run for him because he was in danger of uh, missing, you know, um, not the US Open, but he was in danger of missing. Actually, no, he was even in, in danger. Right? Oh, yeah, of course. He was actually in danger of missing the US Open back then. And, uh, you know, just going sort of uh, further, uh, obviously also the Australian Open, but he was actually in danger of missing the US Open. And at the right, uh, at the last possible moment, he managed to cover for the points that he was losing there and actually win the challenger in Verona. Now he also wins in Tulln, so this is great for his ranking, need, needless to say. And he had a very tough route to the final, you know, Kolash, Rodionov, Kuzmanov, Marterer, Nagal. But that's the sort of tennis that Kopshiva can play, right? That sort of um, aggressive, very early, after the bounce, uh, clay act attacking tennis. Uh, that if it's working, it's it's really hard to stop. It gets really deadly, and that's what Vitkov Shiva did this week. So that was that was very exciting actually. And Sumit Nagar was the finalist. He was fighting to become like one of the many players who have three challenger titles this year. By the way, Thiago Zepovild. I don't know if I mentioned that, but he uh, actually earned his fourth challenger title this year, which is a record in 2023. At three, you've got Purcell. Medvedevich, Murray, Arnaldi, and Comesania, and Nagal was um, well wanted to join them if he won, just like in Rome or uh, Tampere, but he actually lost to Kopshiva in the final. He was pretty overwhelmed just by how aggressively Kopshiva was playing, but still a couple of great wins for Nagal too. I mean, Komboni, Ramos, Vignolas, uh, the turnaround that he had this season, the resurgence, you could say, has been fantastic, and he clearly belongs in the top 200 right now. Uh, Flavio Koboli was my winner pick actually, so he reached the semis. He did well beating Sels, Lakson and, uh, via retirement and Squire, and then lost to Sumit Nagal. Two sets, I honestly expected him to be a little sharper there, maybe a little, you know, just give uh, Nagal a bit more trouble than that. But otherwise I can't really be angry about my pick, uh, I think whatsoever. Then we also had Maximilian Marterer uh, making the semifinals. Uh, we uh, remember him uh, winning Amersfoort just a, uh, not, not, not that long ago even and making third round at Wimbledon out of the qualifying. Uh, and this time he was also pretty good. He beat Russell, Stoder and Rodriguez Taverna. Rodriguez Taverna in a, in a bit of a thriller. And then lost to Kopshiva, I think sort of disappointingly. But at the same time, it is interesting that Vy Kopshiva now has a 3-0 head-to-head record against Marterer. And he actually has never lost a set to him. Stadt 2019, Blois 2022, and Turn 2023. So like mostly faster clay conditions. I don't know if that contributes. 
but yeah, that, that's a, that's a surprising happiness record. I think you would not expect someone of let's say Kopshiva's class to have a six zero three zero head to head against Marder, right? Uh, and uh, yeah, he did it again. So clearly, there is something about this matchup about about playing Marderer that really suits him. Or though pers- personally, I haven't really figured uh, it out um, what exactly that is yet. And then the doubles were won by Zdenek Kolash and Blas Rola. So Zdenek Kolash, the legend of the show, the guy who has appeared on this uh, challenger show the most times out of anyone. So four times. Well, the most times out of me. Uh, you know, not counting me, uh, Jakub and or Andy, who was uh, here at the very beginning. Uh, but yeah, out of the out of tennis players, it's Danek Kolaj who has appeared here the most times at four, and he won this title with Blasherola, and uh, they beat actually Paul Piotr Matuszewski and Kai Wechnert. So Danek Kolaj wins another challenger doubles title, which was also a bit of a meme on this show. You know, when I I, I still can't really understand how he keeps doing that. But how many would that be already for him? Uh, I think it's 18 right now. So um, yeah, as you, can, as you guys can see, it, it, is, it, it is getting pretty crazy how many challenger titles uh, in doubles that Kolash is winning. Although he is still yet to break the top 100 in that um, category. He actually is has a very close, um, like his career highs are very close to each other in singles and doubles. Singles 1-1-1 and doubles 1-1-0. Uh, that's quite interesting too. And then Shanghai was the other Challenger 100 where we had a top seed final and it was a very high quality one. Actually, all of the finals this week, by the way, all of them in straight sets, all six, um, they were very interesting though. Like they had they had good names in them. Even if sometimes, you know, we, we just wished maybe for a bit more competitiveness in either of them. And um, yeah, so speaking of Shanghai, we had Chris O'Connell beating Yosuke Watanuki. And uh, let me just say that they were by far the two highest-ranked players of this week, and they were also by far the best players of this week. Obviously, they were also uh, one of the best players of the Asian Swing in 2022. They met twice, I think, once in the Kobe uh, semi-finals and also in the Matsuyama final. Uh, So this time, uh, well, back then in 2022, it was uh, 1-0 because O'Connell beat him, sorry, it was Matsuyama, but the Yokohama, O'Connell beat Watanuki in Yokohama, then lost to him in Kobe. Uh, their whole rivalry stood at 2-all before this match in Shanghai, but this time it was O'Connell winning 6-3-7-5. He extracted a lot of errors out of Watanuki, uh, but the Japanese hit 20 aces and actually fought back, saving like himself many times, you know, basically hanging on by a thread in the second set and actually had three set points. At four five, I mean at five four from his perspective, but on return, and he missed like super narrowly uh, one forehand winner in um, on one of them, and then he lost the next uh, well two three games depending how you count. Uh, so not ideal there, but at least that was definitely the most competitive final that we had this week, I believe. And Chris O'Connell, he did not drop a single set, uh, only Asutaka Uchiyama took him to a tie-break. Basically, he very quickly showed that he was above the field um, besides Watanuki. And Watanuki, speaking of him, uh, I think he also did very well. You know, he has such an inconsistent style, but it, you, you wouldn't really show, um, you wouldn't really be able to tell this week because he was dominating. He crushed Bolt, Haliak, Haliak the runner-up from last week, and Nam Huang Le before yeah, Yun Cheng Shang took six games of him. But I think that was still not that much, actually. 
compared to what we thought Yun Cheng Shank was going to be able to possibly do to Watanuki. You know, I, I basically perceived it as an almost a 50-50 match, and I see the bookies did too. Uh, so that was great from uh, from Watanuki for sure. And when it comes to Yun Cheng Shank, the semi-finalist, uh, as I said like before, um, well, as I said while analyzing the draw, I thought he was definitely the third favorite for the title, and he, I think, showed that, showed that, beat Strombach, Sweeney, Justino, before losing to Watanuki, maybe a little more, well, a little more tamely than I thought. And by the way, my winner pick was Watanuki here, so this is one of the finalists where I just barely missed out on a point. And uh, yeah, the other uh, semi-finalist we had was Li Tu. So this year has not been that kind to him, obviously. It's not like last year when he won that, um, what was it, uh, Seoul Challenger, right? A huge event beating Yibingu in the final. Uh, but it's not like Li Tu has really ever made consistent impact at the Challenger level. I personally don't think he will most of the time. But anyway, he beat Sekulic, Pelivo, Belie. Uh, and lost to O'Connell, so a very solid run for him here. And maybe again these Asian challengers could um, lead him to some huge results. But these points from um, Seoul are, are very close to dropping, right? And if two cannot get something going soon, then Australian Open qualifying, I mean, he will require a wildcard. I don't know if they'll give, him to, give it to him at this point, but uh, there is a big possibility that he won't be able to play the Australian Open qualies if he doesn't start winning more matches. This, of course, is a great start, because in Zhang Jagang he reached the quarters, and now Shanghai he made the semis, uh, so that was quite nice. And he's not playing Filip Sekulic in the opening round next week, which was a staple of his last two uh, campaigns, in somehow. And then the doubles, it was a very cool thriller final between Alex Bolt, Luke Saville, and Rigalete Buyun Chaokete, and it was actually the Australians who claimed the title 11-9 in the super tiebreaker. Uh, our favorite pairing, Matsuyo Wesugi, lost uh, their 11-9 super tiebreaker to Bolt Savil in the semis. So, um, yeah, two 11-9 super tiebreakers won by Bolt Savil to claim this title. And that was actually uh, one, one of just three, well, these were two of just three matches that they had to play to, to get there. And we also had two Challenger 75s, both of them in Europe, both of them on hard courts. One of them was in, let's maybe start with Istanbul, where I had Lukas Klein as my pick and he was the runner-up. So this is the third runner-up that I mentioned at the very beginning of this of this uh, show. And Damir Junhur, I mean, Damir Junhur winning his first Challenger title in six years, and he was actually on a six-match losing streak in Challenger finals. However, this these stats aren't really that relevant because between that time he was winning ATP Tour titles, right, in 2018 and 19, so, uh, sorry, 17 and 18 he won three um, ATP Tour titles. So, um, yeah, a couple of great weeks for Jumhur, very unexpected, especially maybe on hard courts, although, you know, he used to be way better on hard courts, I guess, than on clay, in, especially in the, at the higher level. And um, yeah, he uh, made the semis in Mallorca in the first week of the US Open, and now Istanbul, he wins it. He won a very tough match with Dino Prismic in the quarters, and Prismic was, was my pick for the title here. Uh, he was 3-5 down in the third. He won a 62-shot rally, break point up, and that really sealed the deal. Uh, you know, Prismic played some very consistent tennis, but he gave Jumhur way too much space to, you know, work his magic, uh, manipulate the ball. And uh, in the final against Klein, by the way, this could be this could rival the Watanuki O'Connell match for the toughest, um, you know, the closest final this week. Jumhur fell down 5-6, love 40 on serve. 
and he managed to get back to the uh, to the set. He managed to win the tiebreak and the match in two sets. So a massive, massive result for uh, Damir Jumhur here. Uh, Lukas Klein, uh, the finalist, also big for him because before this week he was actually barely in the top 250 of the ATP race. Uh, we all know that he had a very uh, suboptimal beginning of the season, but now he's back on track. Now he's again winning matches, getting some good uh, deep runs at the, at the ch- at challengers. But despite winning two challengers in 2022 and making one final, he actually did not have a single uh, challenger final in 2023 before this week. But uh, he got there, although in some ridiculous fashion, because he saved two match points against uh, Martin Dam. And then both Denis Yevsev and Jesper de Jong served for the win against him. So, you know, very easily could have ended in round one, could have ended in the quarters, could have ended it in the semis. But he managed to make it through. And, you know, if he took these set points against Jumhur, perhaps he, perhaps he would have won the final as well. Uh, but yeah, this is absolutely massive for Klein. And I think I even remember saying last time that this is the sort of event where he should be doing well because like the quality of the field is very doable for him and also the conditions. But of course, in the end, I wasn't as right as I hope, um, I mean, as I, as I would like to be, because, well, he very easily could have lost to Martin Dam in the first round. Uh, then as the semi-finalist, we had Nick Hart, who was definitely the surprise package here. He pulled off a ridiculous comeback against Bernie Tomic where he was 0-4 down in the second set. Uh, Tomic missed a match point. It was like a very easy put-away volley on top of the net. Hart comes back to win. Hart also comes back to win against Czelik Bilek from a pretty rough spot. I guess it, I guess this must be huge for him after blowing that lead in the Mallorca quarters last week. And uh, yeah, then he lost to Jumhur in a pretty comfortable victory for the Bosnian, actually. Uh, was this his first semi-final of the season? I believe it was, and indeed it was. He had a couple of quarters earlier in Coquimbo, uh, also at Hosdorf, um, and I guess that's it. And Jesper de Jong was the other semi-finalist. Um, obviously, I was able to watch him a lot in Kozerki. We also had him on the show there. And this time he uh, was just as good as there, I think. I mean, he eliminated the veteran Marcel Irhan, then Monday, uh, then um, Pechi Pericard and lost to Klein, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, De Jong actually served for the match, so it wasn't that bad a loss. And who knows, maybe uh, Jesper De Jong can really keep it going. Um, this week I was tagged on Twitter by uh, one of my followers who was trying to make predictions for um, who was going to make the top 50 and the top 75 at this time next year. And his top, one of his top 20, top 75 selections was actually Jesper De Jong. I don't know what do you guys think about that. I told him that it's pretty bold, and I would be a little surprised if he's up there. But, you know, he's had a tremendous season. If he keeps improving, why not? Um, but 75 sounds a little high for me personally. Uh, I wonder what, um, you know, the general opinion on that is. And when it comes to the doubles, it was Luke Johnson and Skander Mansuri beating Sander Arendt and Aysam Ulhak Kureshi. Uh, Kureshi is actually going a bit stronger right now, it seems, right? Because at the beginning of the year, uh, he was really struggling and he, he's sort of getting back up there now with the title in Yassi and now this final in Istanbul. Well, maybe not the, at the very beginning of the season, but there was definitely a patch around like the clay season where Kureshi just couldn't win a match if his life depended on it, you know? Uh, but right now, he is doing fine again. And the other challenger 75 this week was Cassis, 
which is an, also an outdoor hardcore challenger in France. And Mattia Bellucci won that one over Thomas Mahac. And by the way, this was uh, also... Oh, I mentioned that Klein was my pick. Did I? Actually, Prismich was my pick. I don't know. I don't know if I said that. Um, if I said that wrong earlier, but I just remember because I was I was sort of uh, thinking between Prismich and Klein. I, I don't know. But anyway, that third pick that I mentioned, that third finalist that I had was actually Thomas Mahach, but he also lost, as you as I already told you guys. And Mattia Bellucci beat him. And Bellucci is such a nice, such a weird animal, I would say. At the Australian Open, he qualified, of course, and had that amazing match against Bonzi too. It seemed like he was going to maybe even break the top 100 this year. And then he has this long, long, long slump. Bernie wins matches. But it seems like he's getting back up there, right? And it seemed that like that even before this week. You know, quarters in Winnipeg, quarters in Mallorca. Only losing to Ridi and Medjedovic. And uh, yeah, he was very clean this week, other than the first set against Lucas Puleo in the quarters. And um, he actually served incredibly well, both against Brody and Mahach. Lots of aces, first serve points, you know, just unstoppable almost. He lost one first serve point against Mahach. He was only finding it 48% of the time though, but it didn't matter, of course, with such, with such a high um, points one percentage rate. So I thought that was that was ridiculous from Bellucci, and it's good to see him figure it out finally, you know, because he has the talent, he has the wide variety of skills. It's just that when he wasn't confident, he was um, like his shot selection really um, went away as well, along with it, you know. And I think now this week, outside of the serving, he was really using the tools at his disposal wisely, and uh, it's worth mentioning that he's going to play Neukrist again in Ren in the first round, which uh, Neukrist he also played in Cassis in the second round, and also that he is still defending two more challenger titles, right, at the end, um, in October. So uh, it's not like the work is done for Matia, but I think if he just starts posting consistent results, then probably in the first half of 2024 he could rise again. And Thomas Mahach, as I mentioned, the finalist, this was actually his first final of the season, which, oh no, sorry, second final of the season, he doesn't have a title, which is, is what I meant. And um, yeah, uh, Thomas Mahach, uh, old, 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 old time this year, he has been like around 120, right, 110 in the rankings, still trying to get back into the top 100 by the end of the year. It's gonna be pretty tough because he had a great patch um, around that time last year. But, you know, maybe he can still do it. And clearly he has been playing quite well, despite a few earlier losses, like that to FCAF in Kozerki. Uh, at the US Open, he was just in a very tough section, right? He beat Kevin Anderson, the former runner-up, and lost to Pornagoyo, who eventually made the fourth round. And then Cassis, he cleaned up what he had to do in the first few rounds. And then against Miller, he saved the match point uh, in, a, in a thriller semi-final before losing to Pelucci. Uh, speaking of Alexander Miller, he was almost out uh, in the opening round, actually saving a match point himself against Joao Souza with a controversial line call. And I remember saying on the last show that Miller's purple patch is already gone, but maybe it actually isn't, you know, maybe at the challenger level he's still gonna be winning matches. He beat Locoli and Zapieri, Zapieri surprised me a little bit, and then had every chance of beating Mahac, but just did not capitalize on his chances, so a uh, shame there for the Frenchman. And Liam Brody was the last semi-finalist that we're going to cover this week. And Liam Brody won three matches in straight sets, very easy. And this was like a carbon copy, I guess, of his um, last two challenger appearances, which is Kerry semis and Winnipeg semis. 
three fairly comfortable wins and then loses in the semis also quite comfortably to an opponent who's peaking. And I have to say um, that Liam Brody was also, again, very close to uh, securing his top 100 debut. However, he needed to win the title because he would have been tied on points with David Goffin if he made the final. But David Goffin has the better tiebreaker of points earned at Grand Slams and ATP 1000 events. So uh, this wouldn't have worked out anyway for Brody. He had to actually win the title rather than just beat Bellucci in the semis. But he didn't. Still, uh, we said that if he keeps making these semifinals, he probably gets there because right now he's like 95th in the ATP race. So clearly he is very close, right? And then in the doubles in Cassis, we had uh, Dana Det and Jonathan Eiserig, the top seeds, beating Liam Brody and Antoine Oang. So uh, Brody also went deep in this uh, category for sure. And uh, added Eiserig, this was actually just their second event together, with the first being an ITF back in 2020. So also a, a fresh, uh, but also an all-French pairing that I guess we, you could kind of expect. And um, yeah, that's that's gonna be it for the six events that we had. Uh, so now match of the week, upset of the week, and then we're gonna get to the previews. Obviously, I'm in stretching right now, so we're also gonna get some talk, um, well, some more detailed talk on what's happening there and the qualifying round one. And there's also a, a, a really good story from Guangzhou qualifying, so we're gonna chat about it later too. But for now, let's get to the match and upset of the week. So in the Twitter poll that I often put out, uh, well, every week actually, uh, the lead right now is with Jumkul against Prismic, which I was honestly a bit surprised by. I thought it was going to be more so maybe Karpais Ben against Gaston. I also put Emery versus Kachin and Mahaj versus Miller in the chat. So as I said, I'm gonna go with Karpais Ben and Gaston uh, just because I feel like Prismic against Jumkul was. Well, it was dramatic, uh, but the level actually was not all that good, in my opinion. And there was a lot of pushing in all of these long, long rallies, you know? So it, it was, um, I said on Twitter that it was entering like Simon Medvedev, uh, Simon, sorry, Simon Monfils territory, if you know which match I'm talking about, Australian Open 2013, maybe, where they played a 70-something short rally, and um, they're also really tired, but at the same time, it's just really pushing, so... Yeah, uh, I, I think that's all I have to say about Jumhur Prismic, but I did enjoy it still, obviously. Uh, my pick is Velker by Zbena Gaston. I feel like this was hands down the best, the highest quality match on the Challenger Tour that I watched all week. Uh, in a way, maybe also the highest quality match that I saw all week in general, because as we know, the last few days of the US Open were quite dire. I am joking, but at the same time, you know, there is some merit to it, I suppose. And when it comes to the upset of the week, I have not checked that yet. Um, I see that, for example, in Genoa, we had big scores by Zekic beating Per and also Rotoli beating Maestrelli. Mm, decent upsets for sure. Emery beating Kachin in Seville, that one I might go for. There's Royer beating Diaz Acosta as well. That I didn't surprise, uh, that I didn't expect too. Giannessi beating Munar had a huge, uh, had huge odds on it. So a lot of good upsets it seems like this week on the Challenger Tour. Not necessarily in Tulln though. Uh, in Shanghai we had Pelivo beating Polmans. Wow, these were some amazing odds. And he actually lost just four games. But I can't really say I agree with the odds. Um, I am pretty pessimistic right now regarding Pelivo, but still 650 something like that. Oh, maybe also Koray Kirchi, you know, the, the absolute shocker of Istanbul last year, who made the semis out of nowhere and since then only made the quarters of the of, it, of an ITF. That was his best, best result. And last year he beat Verdasco Ofner 
in the Istanbul major, which was just wild. This time he also scored a big upset, but over Leo Borg, so it's not as massive naturally. And you know what? I think I'm going to go with Emery over Kachi, especially after blowing that 5-2 in the third. You would just expect that it was a normal Emery match, you know, when he just um, comes in, he plays very good tennis against the top seed and then blows it in the end. But he didn't, and he deserves full credit for that. So, we have covered the recaps, so now let's get to the previews. We have five events incoming. We're obviously going to start in Szczecin, not only because I'm there, but also it, it is because this is the best, um, well, the biggest event of the Challenger Tour that we have this week. And where, uh, how, do we, how do we take this? There's actually a new sponsor. It used to be Pekao Szczecin Open. Now it's, now it's Invest in Szczecin Open. And actually the budget isn't that great. Uh, this is the 30th edition of the tournament, uh, but only 27th as a challenger. So they had um, three years as a satellite back then, which is basically um, the ITF tour that we know right now. And then a free, uh, 27 editions of the challenger by now. Um, this is my fourth time in Szczecin. I've been coming here every year since 2019. In 2020 it wasn't held, that's why it's just four, not five. And yeah, um, the um, sort of the draw is always quite interesting because you have a lot of good Argentinians, Spaniards, Italians. You know, these are the guys who cannot get into their Davis Cup teams and still want to play on clay after the US Open. And because it's the 30th edition, the organizers actually wanted to get some stars, right? But uh, it just wasn't possible. The Asian swing is back uh, this this year as well. So no one really wants to play on clay after the US Open unless they're, you know, typical Spanish, Argentinian, Italian clay grinders. Shevchenko as well is, is a seed not out of these countries. Hugo Gaston is a seed not out of these countries. And Jan Hoinski, but uh, you sort of get the picture, right? And let's talk about the qualifying then. Because in the qualifying, we had some interesting upsets here today. For example, well, Rincon was supposed to be the top seed, but then he got eliminated. Delbonis had, uh, sorry, eliminated. Then he got moved to the main draw after Carbaez Bayana withdrew. Carbaez Bayana withdrew after his Seville title, of course. And then we had Delbonis retiring with a back injury, for example. And when it comes to the poles, um, we only had, uh, I mean, we had five of them, but only one of them made it. Let's, let's just talk about these guys. So Kacper Krulikowski is a local who lost with a double bagel to Carlos Taberner. I honestly don't think he even did that poorly. He um, won 17 points. He had one break point. But, you know, he just had no chance hanging with Taberner, especially in this form, you know, with the Spaniard recently getting back on track. Um, Shimon Kelan, as usual, quite a disappointment. But do I really uh, thought that it was going to be different this time? Not, no. Uh, you know, I don't think he should be playing on clay, but this is the case with Szczecin that even for Poles, you know, a lot of Polish players actually prefer hard courts. But can you really, um, you know, not take a qualifying wildcard to a Challenger 125? I don't think you can. And Kielan, because of that, also played Stavno and Koszalin earlier, 15 case on clay. I don't think he should be playing on clay at all, you know. Well, not, not at all, but just from, I mean, just a few events a year, preferably. I don't know why he does that, but I don't think it's smart. Uh, and yeah, Kellan lost to Steven Diaz here, although he did pull off a pretty good comeback in the second set from 0-4 to actually 5-all even at some point, and then lost 5-7. Uh, 
Uh, Adrian Andrzejczuk is returning to professional tennis after like four years. I don't know what exactly is the deal with him and the Szczecin organizers, but he's not from Szczecin, he's from Kołobrzeg, which is quite far away actually. And uh, every year, back in the day, he used to get a Szczecin qualifying wildcard. One year he even got the main draw one in 2017 and played Taro Daniel. But of course, right now, coming back to pro tennis after four years, he was absolutely unable to hang to hang with Timo Stoder. Uh, Stoder was like hitting so many forehand winners. And obviously Stoder, not the biggest of both strikers. It's just that Andrzejczuk was not ready for that sort of dynamic um, play uh, that he needs at the challenger level. You know, he was he was not ready with the movement. He was not ready for that sort of weight of shot, even though it's Josh Stoder who theoretically does not hit all that big. Uh, Jasha Scheirich, good wildcard, I think. Uh, he lost to Luis Vesels last year in Szczecin, but he had to retire and was actually keeping it very close with him. And he also played a half-decent match, really, against Henry Squire. I think it was a fine effort. Jasha is not exactly the most talented player in the world, but he has a good mindset. Like He, he is a fighter. He is um, very fun to be around as well, which um, I, I think it also matters because yeah, that's just the sort of attitude that he can often have, you know, just being very positive on the court and um, maybe sometimes he gets way too, frustra- way too frustrated as well, but he often, yeah, he just never really gives up, you know, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a good uh, trait to have, although I don't think his ceiling is high um, at all, really. And uh, But yeah, still, he still is well here. And then he, uh, the only pole that managed to make it through was the usual Szczecin legend, Pavel Czas. So if you don't know this, uh, over the years, Czas has made many upsets in Szczecin. He usually um, played it with a wild card, often because of the Polish National Championships title that he won. This year he also won the Polish National Championships, but the organizers of Szczecin actually told him that because of the 30th edition, they are not going to give the uh, Polish National Champion the wildcard this time, they're breaking the tradition. I think eventually, like I understand it, but eventually it didn't end up working well because they didn't get the stars, right? So they actually just gave it to two other poles and to Gilarno Belli. We're gonna get to it when we when we're talking about the main draw, right? So um, yeah, Pavel Pavel Cech did not get the main draw wildcard. Uh, and when it comes to just what sort of results we're talking about, for him these are absolutely massive. So a third round in Szczecin in 2019, you know, that was in that system when um, challengers had six rounds and also the quarterfinals in 2021 and just listen to the wins that he's had in Szczecin as well Gianessi, Arnaboldi, um, Kopsiva, Travalia, uh, Torebko you know theoretically much better players than him and yet he was able to push them uh, he was also when he was able to beat them he was also, also able to push like um, who was a Dutra Silva one year basically anytime he plays someone who's better than him in Szczecin it's still usually close Although in the 2022 edition, he lost with a double bagel to Georgi Kravchenko and then I think didn't even play again in 2022. Pavel is a bit of a crazy guy, honestly. Um, you never really know what to expect from him. But talent-wise, I, I think he had like top 300 potential. He, his career high is 393, I think, maybe. Something like that. Uh, but anyway, he beat Clement Tabur, which is a huge win this year. But honestly, Tabur played an awful match. And I think Josh will still need to step it up against uh, Rudolf Molecker in the second round of the qualifying. Uh, but that's a match, obviously, I'm very exciting for. If, if someone doesn't know it, Pavel Josh is my, like my favorite Polish player, maybe my favorite player in, the, in, the, in general. 
uh, just love the sort of creativity, uh, creativity that he brings to the court with the drop shots, with uh, also how fast he is, that sort of smart counter-punching tennis that he can often play. But even, you know, with some explosive footwork, he can also crank it up on the forehand side. Um, I, I really uh, became a big fan of him when seeing these, you know, great matches that he played against high-quality opposition, especially the turning point for me was 2018 Sopot, where he beat Collarini and lost to Ote. Oh, that loss to Ote is really one of my favorite matches of all time. Um, it was such a good experience and I think part of why I um, started enjoying the Challenger circuit so much because that was actually the first challenger that I saw live, uh, Sopot 2018, and that match, Chash Otte, was ridiculous. Um, you know, Otte had like five match points, finished on the six, I think, but Chash was just hitting ridiculous winners on all of these match points, and Otte at one point gestured, you know, after Chash finished another match point with a forehand winner, Otte just put his, like, put his hand over his eyes, as if to sort of say that, you know, Chash is just hitting these winners blindly like he just doesn't care and hits them and there was many great shots many great rallies and um, yeah that was one of the matches that pulled me in, into challenger tennis it, it was also of course Lorenzi Jimeno Traver at that event um, the many the many great matches that both of these guys played there Robredo um, having a wonderful run but yeah Chash Otte was also definitely a contributor and to this day like Chash is one of the few players whom I still like I care about his results in the sense that if he loses and if he loses, you know, a match that is very winnable, it actually hurts me, you know, as you as you sort of get deeper into the sport, I think you become a lot more neutral, especially if you try to do it like professionally, analytically a little bit. I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, I'm a professional or, a, an, or an analyst, but um, that's the sort of approach that I try to take to this. And um, yeah, I just feel like I, I definitely bec am becoming a lot more neutral, have become already. I think this process has already been done more, more mostly, but he's one of the few players where I still care. And, you know, it hurts sometimes. But then at, at the same time, I've been able to watch a lot of his good wins in stretching, right? Especially the ones against uh, Gianessi, against um, 2021 as well, against Travalia Kopriva. So you get some great moments and you get some awful ones. That's normal, I guess. And yeah, let's talk about the main draw, actually. So um, yeah, we have uh, Jan Choinski at the top spot as the ninth seed, because uh, as I said, Roberto Carbaez Baena withdrew and they were actually able to still, uh, you know, mess up the draw. And he's going to play Vitko Pshiva, so the, five, uh, the champion from Turn. One of them can play Pedro Martinez or a qualifier. There's also Facundo Diaz Acosta as the sixth seed here, playing Lucas Neumayer, and one of them can play Koboli or a qualifier. Uh, fourth seed is Alexander Shevchenko uh, playing Vitaly Sachko. We'll see how Shevchenko does. We've had him on the show already three times, so maybe if he comes in one once more, he's gonna be um, as he's gonna have as many appearances as Danek Kolash. Uh, it's actually very possible that he will because, um, like at this point, we are sort of uh, you know we say hi to each other and etc. So I know he won't um, deny me the the short interview for the pod. Uh, but he has to win some matches for that, you know. I thought that he was going to become um, one of the, well, the first player with four appearances on this show in Poznan already, but he lost in the first round to Daily Blanche, so he has to avoid a repeat from that. Uh, if he beats Sachko, he can play Brancacci or Blancano. There's also Zdenek Kolasz playing Ugo Gaston in the opening round. That's a crazy matchup because, like, the difference in inventiveness in overall skill as well, like hand skills especially, is so huge. 
And then you also have Daniel Michalski, one of the two Polish wildcards playing Adrian Andreev. I think it's a pretty nice draw for Daniel. I don't think he would beat Gaston, but Andreev is certainly in his range. I think it's a 50-50 match, more or less. Andreev, not the best of seasons, certainly not as good as I thought he would get after 2021. And in the bottom half, we've got Federico Coria as the fifth seed, playing a qualifier and then another qualifier. And also Jaume Munar is the third seed. I didn't actually even realize that he was <laughs> that he was here. I did not, not spot him today at the courts. And Munar can play uh, Max Kashnikovsky or Jelle Sels. So the thing with Jelle Sels is that he's 3 and 20 for the year. I don't know if you guys realize that. Like he's still barely holding on to the top of 200 ranking, although after the US Open, I don't think he actually is. And uh, so many points coming up for him. Uh, in September, October. If Seth doesn't start winning matches, he could actually be down to like 700 in the rankings soon, which is wild. So I think this is a perfect draw for Max. I also don't think he should be playing too much on clay. It's not like with Kellan, but I, I think he should be focusing on hard courts and his last few weeks also showed that. So I I will have to wait and see if he actually beats him, but it's it's the best draw in the, in the event, I think, hands down. So. Um, so that's good for Max. And also at the second seed, the Pedro Kachin playing Daniel Rincon. That is a very interesting match, by the way. Tomorrow, uh, so on Monday, there's only three main draw matches, uh, which is Rincon, Kachin, Shevchenko, Sachko, and Andreev Michalski. And that's a very exciting lineup for, for me personally, especially. But I think for everyone, right? Kachin, Rincon, Shevchenko, Sachko, and Andreev Michalski, probably from the uh, sort of neutral perspective, not, not a Polish fan, uh, that's probably the least, the least entertaining. But for me personally, you know, um, it, it's definitely huge. And then Rincon or Karcin could play Pellegrino or Kowalik. Kowalik, a former champion of this event from 2019. And Marco Cecchinato plays Francesco Maestrelli. And then Gilarno Belli or Dalibor Svcina. So we're going to see uh, what sort of uh, form will uh, Bailey, the third wildcard, bring into this. Apparently he got the wildcard because uh, Kim Kleisters um, sort of asked for it and the tournament or director decided to give it to him. Personally, I think it just should have been Chash, you know you decided that there's uh, like you found out that no, no star is gonna want to come to Szczecin and then uh, you just give it to the guy who should have gotten it in the first place right why break the tradition of the Polish national champion getting the um, wild card but you know it's not something I can really do anything about and um, in the doubles also uh, personally not too excited for this for this doubles draw um, no one really that I want to see, like I, I, I am desperate to see, other than uh, the Polish pairings. I actually um, am excited to see how, how they do, because you've got Choiński Kielan playing against Kolasz Martus Gornas. So it's, the, it's just one um, guy, right? I mean, Choiński. Uh, Choiński is not Polish, but well, he is Polish. He's not representing Poland. He is both Polish, German and British uh, at the same time, right now representing Great Britain, of course. Uh, but yeah, Hoinski Kelan, I don't really know how Hoinski plays doubles, to be honest with you, but Kelan, as I said a few times, has a lot of doubles potential. And uh, Kashnikovsky Kubot, actually, that's quite interesting too. Um, Kashnikovsky is playing with Kubot because no one else wants to. Uh, really, I'm not joking. Łukasz Kubot is at a stage of his career where no one wants to play doubles with him. He's asking some of these guys and they, they, are, they keep saying no to him. He even asked uh, no, Matuszewski, he said no, but he um, actually um, gave him max, sort of, in 
in replacement. And Max is not really a great doubles player, so I don't think Kubot will be fully satisfied with it, but that's the reality right now. I mean, Kubot still hasn't won a match this year, and in Kozerki he was moving exceptionally poorly, you know. At first Valkov wanted to play with him, but then eventually not so much. And um, there's also Matuszewski Wechnel potentially is the first alternates, I think. So maybe they will get in if someone pulls out. I don't know who. Um, I don't really see any sing any players who went deep in singles this week. But maybe some, some singles player will lose early and then want to go home instantly. Who knows? Maybe they will, uh, they will uh, be lucky. And yeah, who, who am I picking to win this event? Uh, that is the question right now. Let me focus on that. Um, yeah, Shevchenko did so well last year, but I just don't trust his form at the moment. Can Hugo Gaston do it? I don't know if I want to pick Hugo Gaston, you know, but, but he is a possibility. Hoinski Kopshiva, that's really tough. Diaz Acosta, I like his opening round, but then playing Koboli in the second round, that does not have to be easy. Federico Coria, also quite unconvincing in recent weeks. But this section is pretty good. Like, I don't want to pick against Max, you know, but Munar playing a qualifier, then Celso Kashnikovsky, that's a really good section for the hit, for the Spaniards, so um, yeah, catching ring on that stuff, so I, I think I'm definitely going with Jaume Munar here, even though he has just lost to Gianessi in the first round of the previous event that he played, right? But yeah, going with Jaume Munar here, excited to see how this event unfolds, obviously you guys are also going to get some extra stuff from uh, this tournament. Uh, they also ho host uh, press conferences here, but only with the doubles champions and the winners, winner and runner-up of the singles. So um, if it happens that one that these guys are going to be ones that I talked that I talked to already that week, then you're gonna have like a mixture of these. Uh, if it happens that uh, it's gonna be someone I haven't talked to, then it's gonna be a recording from the press conference. Anyway, it should be it should be pretty exciting. That that's what we're gonna have um, on the next episode. But for now, we also have to preview four more challengers. Of course, not in detail. Uh, I mean, not not in as much detail as I did uh, in for for this event in Szczecin. So let's just head to Ren, which is the only challenger 100. Actually, the the field, uh, despite being very very French, like half of the players in the main draw are French. Is super exciting. I honestly think that it might excite me even more than the Szczecin field because maybe I just like you know indoor hard players more. Uh, but anyway, uh, Richard Gasquet is the first seed. He actually won Szczecin back in 2017, interestingly. But you know they had to pay him qu pay him quite a lot to play there, and and now he's in Ren. He's uh, playing uh, Jules Marie in the opening round. Nardi Guinard uh, are their potential second round opponents. You also have Arul Mayo against Benjamin Bonzi. That's super exciting too. On Cleanse Pieri, another great first round. Third seed is Quentin Wallis, but he might be in trouble early playing Antoine Escoffier. One of them can face Shellbach. Uh, Luca Pui is back playing Constant Lestien. One of them can play Drogueur Ade. So let's see if Drogueur um, you know, maintains his US Open form, right? That was, that was so impressive. Uh, Liam Brody, seventh seed, is playing Zizou Berks. Maybe Zizou will be healthy for a change. Let's see if that happens. Brody again, of course, fighting for the top 100. There's Corentin Mute with a wild card, but he's also the fourth seed. And he's gonna play Maxim Cressy or Emilio Nava. So I checked, and Cressy has not played the challenger since Lugano 2022, when he lost that great match to Ridi in the opening round. 
And obviously right now we're probably going to see Cressy quite a lot. I'm hoping to see Cressy at one of the events earlier th- uh, later this year. Maybe he's going to play that orange carpet court in Ismaning, which um, I, I would love to go to. Um, if not, I don't really know what his schedule is going to be like, right? But we'll see. And uh, Cressy plays Nava, and there's also Neukrist and Bellucci in this section, so it could be another Brody Bellucci in the second round if they both win. And Rado Albot plays Mark Layal. That's one I really want to see, but obviously I, I do want Layal to progress, um, the, the exciting younger talent always. And then uh, one of them can play Lucas Poulain with a wildcard here. I think it's actually kind of justified after his showing last week, even though his game is so, yeah, just so passive most of the time. And Poulain will play a qualifier, and then there's Barer in a section full of qualifiers. Can one of the qualifiers be really deadly here? I think maybe De Bruyne, if he qualifies, he plays Decams though. Decams has been uh, injured, and now he's back, and he already made like a 15k final. Maybe he will be threatening, who knows. Kacper Zhuk, I'm hoping, is going to be a threat. Today he really didn't have an opponent, and tomorrow he plays Luca Giacomini, so I think he should be taking advantage of this draw. I hope so. But then if he lands the main draw spot, Shelby would be very beatable for him. Uh, Mute in this state, maybe. Poulain is very beatable, and then there's also going to be a match between two qualifiers. So I am hoping for a good run for, from Kasper here. I think he has it in him, definitely, in, in some of these spots. Well, a good run, I would already say, is, is second round. Um, also, Marcus Willis, the legend in doubles. Shimon Valkov now plays with Hunter Lees. Valkov also struggling recently to find partners just because of how um, how poor it is going for him. But they've already won a challenger title with Lees last year in Poznan. Anyway, who do I think is winning this? Uh, Gasquet Marie. Uh, I don't know. Gasquet recently has not been that threatening um, in order, uh, you know, in, in terms of winning challengers. So I'm gonna. Go, I, I don't think I'm going for him. He can play Nardi in the second round, which smells trouble for me. Bonzi with that terrible loss to Poulain last week. I don't like this. Alice Escoffier is is a dangerous opener. Um, Brody Berks, Corentin uh, Boutet, Cressy. Yeah, this section is just really tough. So all in all, I think I have to go with Grégoire Barret. Naturally, a fantastic indoor. French, yeah, indoor hardcore player in France, right? Always succeeding in, in these events at home. And he's going to play a qualifier and then one of the two next qualifiers. So, yeah, for me, it's clearly going to be Grégoire Barrer here uh, as a pick. I think this is a pretty obvious one, given, at how ev- given, given how everyone else seems to have a pretty tough draw. Besides him, because for the first, even like three rounds, he can only play Albot or Layal, I guess, out of the toughest guys. Unless someone from the qualifying comes in, but it would probably have to be Zhuk in order to have a chance. I don't really know if Morocanias or the well, De Bru maybe. De Bru maybe could have a shot as well. And let's head over to the Challenger 75s that we have. They are actually all non-European, so a big cha- a big change this week because last year we had six Challenger uh, last year. Last week we had six Challenger events, and five of them were in Europe, where 4.5 depending on how you count Istanbul. But let's say, you know, n- near Europe, uh, even if it's on the Asian side, uh, so so close to Europe, that doesn't really matter. And uh, only one in uh, China. And now we have China, the States and Bolivia. So um, very exciting there. Maybe let's finish off the Asian swing first in terms of the previews. 
So uh, Yusuke Watanuki is missing from that event, but there is Yuncheng Shang and there is Christopher O'Connell, so definitely one of the guys that we're going to be looking at. O'Connell plays Dominic Palan, then Pelivore qualifier, there's Justino Atmane, I feel like they've played already in the last few weeks. And they can play Ayeni or Mo Yekong with a wildcard, Buyuncha Aketa is the fourth seed, he can play Saville or Moria in the second round. Junoguchi, pretty good opener as well, but I think Sweeney might be beating uh, either of them in the second round. There's Evgeny Donsko is the seventh seed playing Antoine Belier, that's a pretty big one too. The veteran Shelly plays Kachmazov. Yuncheng Shang can play Qualifier and then Bolt or Jasika. And then in the bottom section, it's a bit weird there with Li Tu playing near Chapel. It's a good section for the two though. And Mark Polmas, the second seed, plays Arthur Weber, so the recent champion in uh, what was the first China Swing event? Zhuhai, right? I think I'm right. Yeah, I think it was Zhuhai, the Challenger 50. And uh, then Weber or Polmas can play Sinclair or Qualifier. So who am I going for uh, here? Let me also check. And, oh, and the qualifying story that I have to mention today. Toshihide Matsui, 45-year-old, beats Jiayang Dong, an 18-year-old from Australia, and he manages to get an a get two two ATP points, right? Yeah, two ATP points, and he was about to lose the only point that he had, which means that he will stay in the rankings for more than uh, a for, I mean for yeah for the for a year from here from here, with just these two points, which is ridiculous because Toshihide Matsui is the oldest singles ranked player. And he is actually that by a wide margin, by four years over Feliciano Lopez, who is who is retired by now. So actually, the, the second active player who is ranked is Fernando Verdasco, who is 39, you know, and he is of course still very much an active player, having played last week, for example. So that's that's pretty wild, I think. And um, also, Matsui is the second oldest doubles ranked player, having recently won a challenger title, which I'm sure you heard about on this on this show. And um, this, is a, this is a great story, sort of, well, sort of related to Matsui, because the only guy who was older than him in the ATP doubles rankings was also about to lose points, right? And his name is Richard Ross from Sweden, he's 49, and uh, he won his only points in, in well, his only point, I guess, in 2022 via a walkover in doubles. Actually, maybe it was two points, I can't remember, but anyway, never mind. And I think in order to not lose these points and like stay in the rankings, he played one week, one week with Philip Bergevi. Philip Bergevi, who's a top 100, uh, top 200, sorry, doubles player. Can you imagine that? I mean, he must have paid him, or maybe he is like a big figure in the Swedish Federation, Ricard Ross, I don't know. But at least, you know, that's how he stays in the rankings. So that's how Matsui is no longer the oldest ATP ranked player in, well, no longer, he actually wasn't. Uh, because Ross was still there, but that's why uh, Matsui is not going to take over after Ricard Ross's points uh, are gone, because he actually just earned um, some new ones. Uh, yes, and when it comes to the winner picks here, because I think in the qualifying there's no real threats right now. Akira Santian was there, but he lost to Alexei Zakharov, which I don't think is a great loss for him, even though Zakharov recently beat Weber. Uh, Stefanos Sakelaridis, maybe, Mikhailai Haliak, the runner-up from a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think it will be, one of these guys will be the winner. So I think we're basically looking at a two-way race between Chris O'Connell and um, Yuncheng Shang, and you know, what I'm asking to myself is, how much does Chris O'Connell have in the tank here, and also how much motivation he's gonna have in order to win this one? 
I don't really know the answer to this question, but I think I'm just going to go with Yunjeng Shang, who I think is also significantly better than most of the field here, despite his ranking not quite yet suggesting so. But I think a lot of that was from was coming from the mono in the at the beginning of the season. So I like Shang's chances to go deep here. Definitely, I do. And uh, yeah, let's head over to carry in the United States. We've already had a carry challenger, so this is a second um, edition of that event there this year. The top seed is Rinki Hijikata of recent top 100 fame, right? Ridiculous stuff from, from the Australian to make the US Open round four. I'm kind of surprised, I guess, that he's even playing here. And he faces Pedro Rodenas in the, in the first round with a wild card, so... Um, obviously, uh, that's a college-related thing. Uh, then one of them can play Christian Langmo or a qualifier. And uh, there's also Elmar Ejupovic. And fifth seed, Ryan Peniston plays Bernie Tomic. That is really interesting. Adam Walton played Mitchell Kruger. I think that's good, too. It's actually quite wild to see Walton with the seed, while Kruger does not have it. But, you know, that's the core. That's the, um, obviously, a continuation, uh, a sort of a result of how awful Kruger has been the last two years, and also how great Walton has been going since he, since leaving college. Patrick Kipson plays Hertz, and this is interesting as well because Hertz played a very long match in a 25k final against Lamazine today in Europe in on Sunday, actually late afternoon, so he doesn't have a lot of time to get to Kari and um, you know eventually maybe try to get rid of the jet lag as well. Tennis Sandgren plays Juan Pablo Fikovic, and then William Janssen or a qualifier. Bottom half, we have like Zacharis Fida playing Ethan Queen. That is a pretty interesting match. Darwin Blanche is here with a wild card. Uh, very talented junior. Uh, Rangaros semis that he make. Yeah, I think so. At 15, uh, he had a wild card recently to the qualifying of the US Open, but he actually declined it, which was a really interesting uh, call. I don't think he simply felt like he was ready, I suppose. And Darwin will play a qualifier and then Sfidar Queen. So that's that's a storyline, I think, to, to look at this week. How will Darwin Blanche do? Uh, third seed is Quaco playing Marchenko. Then there's also their, well, not yet resurgent, but at least the guy who recently came back, Brian Schnur playing Toby Samuel. And uh, Alex Mikkelsen is the second seed playing Jean Vier in the opening round, then potentially Schoolkate. Guido Andreotti, the seventh seed, is playing a qualifier, and then Mayo or Harrison. Uh, in terms of the qualifying, we had uh, Donald Young winning a match, um, Alex Rybakov against Strong Kishheimer, that's a pretty big one. Tyson Kwiatkowski, that's a decent qualifier, maybe if he gets through Canon Kingsley as well. But I do have to say that I don't think a qualifier is going to win this. So who am I thinking of? Hijikata, I don't know. I don't really trust him. I'm not sure if he's going to be, you know, all that much better than the challenger players now because he's in the top 100. I don't know. I don't feel like that's really the case. Uh, however, you know, he has a good draw, so why not? And um, I'm actually going to go with... Alex Mikkelsen. Uh, why Alex Mikkelsen? He has a tough one against Jean-Vier in the opening round, but we all know how talented Mikkelsen is, what sort of results he's already gotten this year. He was good at the US Open as well, beating, um, who was it? Ramos Vignolas and then losing to Jari. Um, was outlasted physically there, interestingly, against Jari, but I think it's going to be uh, fine for him here. He plays Jean-Vier. If he beats him, the draw kind of opens up. 
And yeah, I just think Mike Mickelson has a very good shot at making the top 100 by the end of the year. So I'm going to be sort of rooting for him and probably picking him quite a lot because I respect his abilities quite a lot as well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's head to the, the last challenger that we have this week, which is in Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz uh, de la Sierra, I think it's also called a lot of the time, but um, we also can call it just Santa Cruz. And our first seed here is Juan Manuel Serundolo, who's going to play Alex Parena. Then one of them can play a qualifier or Bruno Kuzuhara. Great first round matchup between Luciano Darderi and Joao Lucas Reis da Silva. I'm interested in that too. Um, then we have one of them playing Tristan Boyer or Pedro Sakamoto. So that's, that's going to be quite exciting uh, as well. Otherwise, Thiago Agustin Tirante playing Daniel Dutra da Silva, then Mateus Puccinelli da Almeida could be a rival for them. Mariano Navone playing Matias Soto, maybe not that interesting, but if he, if he can play that Adolfo Daniel Vallejo, or, by the way, Juan Carlos Pradon Hello, the runner-up at the Roland Garros, um, former junior, actually maybe even current junior, right, um, uh, junior number one. You know what, guys? I have to check that because he was definitely the junior number one recently. Who is the junior number one right now? Ah, I guess it's Jaroslav Demin. But Juan Carlos Pradonajelo uh, from Bolivia was the junior award number one just two months ago, and he is playing with a wild card here. He's played a few challenger already. Challengers already did not really make that much of an impact, to be honest with you. But um, I don't know if this one will be will be different. But definitely Vallejo, uh, Angelo, right? Much of um, that very recent, in fact, uh, junior award number ones. That is a pretty huge story. So let's see. Let's see whether he can pull off something here at his home event. And uh, in the bottom half, we've got Ugo Carabelli playing Murkel Delian. Ugo Delian is also in this quarter, but on, on the very other half of it, playing Colarini. Uh, Londero, back after two months. Interested to see how he's going to do, because the last time we saw him, he actually won a 25k and seemed to be getting something going. Then he disappears. Londero plays Olivo, and um, Ugo Carabelli or Delian can play a qualifier, um, and Colarini Delian can play Londero or Olivo. You also have Francisco Comesania, so one of the players who won three challenger titles this year, playing Eduardo Ribeiro, then David Horda Sanchez or Gustavo Haide. And at the very bottom, there's Genaro Alberto Olivieri playing Roman Andres Buruchaga, or uh, and then one of them will face a qualifier. Is there anyone in the qual in the qualifying itself that I think will do well? Uh, no, Orlando Luz, Facundo Mena, this could be a chance for him to rebuild himself. Uh, maybe, because this year yeah, has been just absolutely, absolutely awful for Facundo Mena, obviously. And um, yes, I, I don't really think that any one of these players will be going that well. Santa Cruz is, is a, has a touch of altitude, so Facundo Mena you know, could enjoy these conditions, but he has been playing pretty poorly. Uh, Juan Manuel Cervondolo just seems like a very good pick, you know. He can play um, Reis da Silva or Dardelli in the quarters, but well, Serundolo has been pretty strong recently. He played some of his best ever hardcore tennis at the US Open. So I, I'm pretty confident in this pick. And I, I'm also thinking of Comesania, you know, just how good he's been recently playing Ribeiro in the opening round. Maybe not ideal, but Ribeiro only really has like what? This one great performance every once in a while. Haide could also be a, a danger, uh, Buruchaga or Olivieri. So I think I'm going to stick with um, Juan Manuel Serundolo. But this is a pretty exciting event already. And I think um, most of these um, clay challengers in South America are only going to get better, right? They should be at least getting better, I think, as 
as um, the uh, European challengers won't carry that much clay anymore. Uh, so yeah, also just a brief mention, uh, because when we were doing these spots with Jakub, we also tended to uh, talk about Davis Cup a little bit for Poland and Slovakia. So I think it would be it would be pretty nice if we talk about at least the Slovakian matchup, right? Um, why not? And uh, it, it actually really interests me, like sort of getting uh, getting more invested in like random tennis stuff is is pretty good, I think. So so let's let's see. I'm actually gonna follow this Slovak uh, Slovak Davis Cup rubber against the, against Greece. Um, well, this is the, this looks very winnable for them because they only really have Stefanos Tsitsipas and then Petros Tsitsipas, of course, as there's a great doubles player. But yeah, Tsitsipas is gonna earn two points. But the second singles player, who is going to be either Skorilas or Perovolarakis, or maybe Aristotelis Fanos even, I mean, Molchan, Klein, Gombos, whoever plays, they're going to beat him. So it's really all about the doubles here. And the doubles, you know, they can play something like Zelenai with Klein, maybe, or Zelenai with Pokorny, maybe. Can, can that sort of a pair beat Tsitsipas Tsitsipas? I think that Greece, uh, Greece is probably the f are, are the favorites probably, but it's really all riding on the doubles rubber. So it's gonna be pretty interesting. I, I am I am excited to follow it. I am not that excited about Poland playing Barbados though. Barbados. Um, I mean the only real excitement about uh, Barbados is Darian King naturally back in the top 500. And whereas I think Darian King can easily beat Olaf Pieczkowski, who is our second singles player. There's no way one of the other uh, Barbados guys beats Olaf or Hurkacz. Hurkacz has to play this Davis Cup despite you know the weak rival because he needs to fulfill the Olympics qualifying criteria. So he needs to play this one and also the next uh, tie in uh, February, which is good because in February we'll be actually fighting for uh, you know World Group 1. Right now we are in World Group 2 actually, so one less, uh, one lower than Slovakia. And uh, yeah, I just feel like we have no chance of losing to Barbados because even if Darian King would beat Pieczkowski or even if Darian King frankly would beat Hurkacz in some twisted way, um, still, I think we still win this 3-2. Uh, Zieliński, Drzewiecki is going to be our double sparing. No way they lose really to King and whoever of that group, I think, that they brought here. So so yeah, I, I don't think Barbados really has any winning chances. Drzewiecki's debut, by the way, in Davis Cup, which I know he's pretty excited for. Uh, he's coming back after an injury and he could have played Szczecin or this, but a lot of these guys from Poland, I think they, they sort of want to get that one appearance at least for the team. Uh, that's, I think, as that's how many times I think Max played it against Hong Kong. Uh, Daniel Michalski played against Zimbabwe just once. I think there was also Wojtek Marek who played once against Salvador. So I think a lot of these uh, Polish players have just been sort of appearing once or twice. And, and uh, Mateusz Kowalczyk, I think back in the day, also, also had this sort of random appearance. Uh, anyway, uh, that's going to be it for today then. We discussed it all. We talked about the six challengers that happened. We talked. We previewed the five that will. And we also chatted some random Davis Cup because why not? I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, let me just quickly also run through the events that we're going to have in uh, in a week. So Szczecin, Rennes, Guangzhou, Santa Cruz and Kerry. Well, this is going very smoothly for me the past couple of weeks. And um, yeah, as I said earlier, from Szczecin, there's going to be some extra content coming up. So get ready for that and I'll see you guys next time. Uh, bye.